We want to go ahead and meet their teachers out in the lobby area. They will get them to their class. Parents, please make sure you stop by after and uh, pick those up. Pick them up, not those. <laughs> those, them. Um, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Last week, two weeks ago, we started a series called Built to Last. This is the third part of that series. I've entitled it More Prayer. More Prayer. We talked about prayer last week, and uh, we're going to talk about prayer again this week. And last week, um, I introduced the term to you, or maybe just caused you to remember the term, Weekend Warriors. Weekend Warriors, the dictionary defines it as one who participates in an activity only in their spare time. Meaning, you know, we're not professionals, we just do it, you know, as we are able. And uh, weekend warriors play things like soccer and softball and football and, you know, they just go out in their spare time and they participate in an activity. And generally, because they don't do it full time, uh, their muscles uh, don't respond well the next day to that. And so weekend warriors are not... uh, you know, there's, there's a benefit to getting out there and exercising, but there's also a risk. There's a chance of injury. There's a chance of being very sore the next day and walking around like you, you know, just did something crazy. And so we compared that to our spiritual lives because the Apostle Paul in the Scripture compares our spiritual lives to running in a race, uh, not just once, but several times actually, And many of us, I I believe, in the American church have kind of been lulled into sleep, if you will, and we've become weekend warriors. You know, we'll attend church on Sunday, but that's the extent of our commitment to following Christ, or we think that's all we're called to do. And we wonder why the Christian life never really works out the way we expected. In fact, I, I rarely meet people who've walked away from the faith that weren't just weekend warriors, people who prayed when they had spare time or read the Bible when they had a chance, or gave their extra income, or went to church when it was convenient. Those people have a tendency to drift away from the faith and say things like, well, I tried it, but it didn't work. People that really take the Bible as it is, at face value, put their confidence completely in it and never let go, don't always walk away from the faith. Sometimes they still do. In fact, Hebrew says, if you've tasted of that heavenly gift and you know what it's like to experience that and you fall away, uh, it, it's so hard to come back. See, when you're a weekend warrior, you still have the chance to encounter the real thing because you haven't yet. And, but when you've experienced the real thing and you turn your back on it, that's a difficult place because you've already had that taste of the heavenly gift. And so that's what the the Bible's talking about in those two situations. And so we talked about Jesus on Easter Sunday. We talked about the the cross and the power of of the forgiveness of the cross and the mercy at the cross. And we talked about the resurrection and the power to obey what what now the word has asked us to do. And you know, one of the things that uh, I never mentioned was the first thing that Jesus asks us to do is to be baptized. And so if you are here and you are a follower of Christ and you've committed your life to Christ and you've never been baptized in water as a declaration of your faith, that's the first thing he asks you to do. And if you want more information about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. But uh, I, I even put it in my notes in bright yellow 
this week because I forgot to mention it the last two and so I didn't want to miss it today. Last week, we started talking about prayer and we're looking at how to build lives that last because the scripture warns us that many people who start following Christ will not endure to the end, but those who do endure to the end will be saved. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, there's gonna be such difficult times that men's hearts are gonna fail them, that people are gonna walk away from the faith, that their love, the agape that they had for God is gonna grow cold. And as I look around me today, um, there are so many believers some of you in this room, some of my friends, some of my family, just people who are facing so many different pressures and challenges and situations. And, you know, I feel the pressure. But here's the thing. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And no matter what pressure comes on us, the, the scripture always points us and reminds us. It doesn't tell us about the difficult times coming in the last days so that we hide in a bunker somewhere. But it's there to remind us that even when these last days pressures come, look up because your redemption is drawing near. And don't give up. Don't walk away from this thing. Don't throw in the towel. Persevere in your faith. Continue to do those things that you know to be true. Because here's the thing, what we need isn't coming down from above. It's already here. Everything we need for life and godliness is now in us. It comes through our knowledge of him. And as we continue to walk that out day after day, it will come to pass in our lives. We will see his handprint, his footprint, and his provision. So last week we introduced Daniel. We talked about Daniel's habit of prayer. And for those of you that missed it, Daniel was a young Israelite that was taken into captivity to the nation of Babylon. Babylon came in, they overthrew the Jews, they overthrew the nation of Israel, they ransacked the place, they destroyed and leveled Jerusalem. They killed a lot of the people that were there. So many of Daniel's friends and relatives were probably killed, but they took the cream of the crop. They took the men, the young men, the young women that were um, beautiful, highly educated. They took the women as wives or as part of their harem. They took the men and put them into uh, places where they could serve them. So imagine being thrust into a place where you're now asked to serve the people that ransacked your homeland and killed some of your friends and family. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see their story in Daniel. And they serve the Lord well. They still pray for the, the blessing. I mean, you, if you've never read the story of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, when Daniel pronounces judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream where God says, because your heart's lifted up with pride, you're gonna go out into the wilderness and you're gonna be a madman. You're gonna be out of your mind, but I'm gonna bring you back. Daniel weeps when he tells them this story. I mean, it's such a, it's such a bizarre thing. Oh, that we would be more like Daniel. In America, we love to take our, our uh, leaders and shoot them down and talk about all their flaws and weaknesses. And how many of us, if we had to go today to President Obama and explain the dream that he had about the fact that he was gonna go out into the wilderness like a madman would do it with the same heart that Daniel did? Really got quiet. That's the test. That's the test for us. 
And you see, God doesn't show us things like this because he wants us to feel guilty. When we talk about prayer, I don't want you to leave here today saying, man, I'm such a terrible Christian, I don't pray enough. What I hope we do is recognize we don't pray enough. We, we need to understand this thing called prayer and tap into it because it truly is what's gonna make our lives built to last. And so we shouldn't leave here feeling guilty. We should leave here feeling empowered. And I hope and I've prayed that somehow I can convince you of that. And so if how I share it makes you feel guilty, pardon me and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit within what I say and allow him to empower you and not overwhelm you. That make sense? So Daniel, through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and even Darius as the Medes and Persians come in and take the, the Babylonians and overthrow them, Daniel finds himself in favor with all of these different leaders and kings throughout different kingdoms. And he doesn't do it by compromise. There's absolutely nothing recorded in scripture that even points to a flaw in the life of Daniel anywhere. There's really not another person in scripture that I have found other than Jesus where we can't at least see a flaw. Some of them were flat out told their flaws. All of these great men and women of faith, and that's good because it reminds us that we're all human. We all suffer. We all uh, don't measure up right. But Daniel's kind of the cream of the crop. It's like he's figured this thing out even in the Old Testament. And so Daniel teaches us a lot about prayer. I believe the reason Daniel's life was built to last was his understanding of prayer. It wasn't all he did. There was still obedience. There was still honor. There were still a lot of things in his life that were in place, but prayer was a huge part of his life. We looked at Daniel chapter six when he was being faced with the lion's den. We talked about thanksgiving. We talked about asking God. And so I'm gonna refer back to last week's sermon a lot. If you missed it, that was a brief synopsis, <clears throat> but I spent 45 minutes unpacking all that so go back and listen to that and then you'll understand a little bit more today we ended last week with colossians chapter 4 verse 2 that said this devote yourselves to prayer <clears throat> and our challenge for the week was to devote ourselves to prayer and whether we did it or didn't do it uh, the challenge for us again this week is devote ourselves to prayer and at the end of the service today I'm gonna ask for volunteers to lead us in prayer. Sent out a message yesterday asking, <clears throat> didn't get any response, but I know that some of you in this room, the Lord wants you to lead in prayer at the end of this service today. So if that's you, when I ask for you at the end of the service, don't be shy, run on down here, pretend like it's the price is right, and uh, you're gonna to get to be in the, the showcase or the whatever that thing's called up here. Anyway, <clears throat> and you're gonna to get to pray. So Daniel chapter nine, let's look at Daniel's prayer. <clears throat> Daniel chapter nine, verse one. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became the king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. So Daniel takes his Bible, the prophet Jeremiah's words, 
That's what they had. They had the law of God and they had the writings of the Psalms and they had the prophets. That's what they had. They didn't have New Testament. It wasn't written yet. And Daniel reads the prophecy of Jeremiah about the captivity. Jeremiah prophesied that there would be captivity. And during the life of Jeremiah, other prophets came and said, Jeremiah was a liar. There's not gonna be captivity. God's gonna protect us. We're the people of God and God always protects us. In fact, they mocked Jeremiah. They ridiculed Jeremiah. They threw Jeremiah in prison. The Lord told Jeremiah to take a yoke and carry it around as a sign of what God was gonna do to them. And a false prophet comes along and he takes that yoke and he smashes it. And he says, the Lord smashes this. This isn't gonna happen. And Jeremiah says, the Lord says, you destroy that uh, wooden yoke, I'm gonna replace it with a yoke of iron. In other words, you're rejecting what I'm saying to you. Don't think that just because you're my people that you can just live however you want and you're gonna have a life that's built to last. I promised you, if you don't live according to my word, I'm gonna take you into captivity. I promised it and I'm gonna do it. And Jeremiah was even thrown into prison. But Jeremiah's words came to pass. And Daniel's reading this. And now Jeremiah says the captivity's only gonna last 70 years. Well, if in the face of all of that opposition, he was right about the captivity, then chances are he's also right about the 70 years. And Daniel's response is kind of perplexing. Instead of breaking out into thanksgiving, like we learned last week, remember when Daniel was faced with the lion's den, the first thing he did was thank God, as it was his custom. He doesn't really start with thanksgiving, but he kind of starts with a little bit of praise, but why is he start to pray? Why is he starting to confess? I mean, the word of the Lord's already there. Why not have a celebration? Why not go to your friends and say, hey, we're almost done. The captivity's almost over. The Lord's gonna bless us. What in the world are you doing putting on sackcloth and ashes? It's time for a party. Obviously, Daniel understood something about prayer that many of us don't understand. Look at what he prays. Oh, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned. We've done wrong. We've rebelled against you. We've scorned your commands and your regulations. We've refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. Wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. Oh Lord, we and our kings and princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. So he starts by praising God, declaring who God is. You're the God that keeps your, command, your promises. And then he confesses their sin and he says, this is how we got here. We have sinned against you. Can I tell you something? The American church has just as much blame for the condition of our nation as the sinners out there. Probably even more blame. Because you and I knew the truth but chose most of the time not to walk in it. We got lazy. We got complacent. We just thought all we got to do is elect a Christian and everything's going to turn out okay. I mean, we 
don't really have to really pray and seek the Lord. I mean, after all, we're the people of God. We can just walk in the shadow of the cross and the resurrection. And we fail to understand that God says, if you call on me, I'm going to hear you and I'm going to answer you. And then I'm going to heal your land. Nowhere in there did he say, if you elect a Christian, I'll heal your land. Nowhere in there did he say, if you just build a church, then everywhere that the the people, when they drive by, they're just going to be drawn in. He said, you go tell them. You go lay your hands on the sick. You do it. And for a long time, the American church just got lazy. But God is waking us up. Yesterday was a strategic day in our country when people in Los Angeles gathered for the Azusa Now to pray together with Lou Engel. And then over here in Washington, D.C., and Matt Lockett and many of our leaders from the Assemblies of God met on the the Lincoln Memorial steps to begin to pray and call out to God on the 110th anniversary of Azusa Street. Who cares about Azusa Street? God says, I'm the God of Azusa, and I'm not just in Los Angeles, and I'm not just in Washington, D.C., and if you show up here on Sunday morning and act like I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. And if you wake up tomorrow and you just start calling on me and you expect me to show up in your day I'm going to show up in your day because I'm the God who does not respect I or disrespect anyone I treat everyone equally and if you call on me I'm going to hear you and I'm going to answer you and that's the promise that Daniel kind of repeats and so maybe it's just time for us to say God we've sinned you see it our faces are covered with shame but he doesn't stop there thank goodness Verse nine, but the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. (laughs) That is an amazing verse. That would be enough to get you going all week long. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we've not allowed the instructions he gave us through the servants, the prophets. We've not followed the instructions, excuse me. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word. You've done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we've refused to seek mercy. <laughs> Did you catch that? He doesn't say we've refused to defend ourselves. He just says we refuse to seek mercy. All it takes is saying, Lord, we have fallen asleep at the wheel here. Oh, be merciful to us. Save our nation. Save our city. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. If my people called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That's a promise and he keeps his promise. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses have come true, but we've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought this disaster as he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. Thank you for waking us up, is what he's saying. Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we've sinned, we're full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, 
Please turn from your furious anger from our, the city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of their sins and the sins of our ancestors. So he's beginning to now remind God of his promise and telling God, hey, have mercy on us. Look, the other nations are mocking us. And as I read that, I couldn't help but think of the words of Moses in Exodus chapter 32. Because God says, Moses, uh, the people that, that I brought out of Egypt, they've turned away from my words and I'm going to destroy them. And Moses says some amazing and profound things in chapter 32. Look what he says. Why let the Egyptians say, their God rescued them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. I will give them all of this land and promise your descendants and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. If the church doesn't stand in the gap for the people of America like this, our preaching will fall on deaf ears. We first cry out to the Lord for mercy. We first come to the Lord and humble ourselves and admit our sin and admit that we didn't follow through on his word, that we got comfortable living this Christian life and we, we failed to see that there was an enemy sneaking in while we were just resting and relaxing and we've, we've allowed the door to be open, but we repent and we cry out for mercy on behalf of the sins of our nation. We cry out for mercy on behalf of the blood of the unborn that cries out to you. That's where it starts. If we're not praying first, the preaching isn't gonna, isn't gonna turn anybody's heart, at least for long. We cry out to the Lord just like this. We say, God, remember your promise. Remember what you've promised. Remember, you're a God who's merciful. You're slow to get angry. You're abounding in love. I mean, what, did God forget who he is? What do we gotta, why do we gotta tell God all these things? Because it shows faith. It shows we believe him. It shows we trust him. Because he told us to. We're not arrogantly going to God and saying, God, we don't deserve this. We're saying, God, we fully deserve this and more. But you are a God of mercy. And so for mercy we plead. So look at what Daniel says. Verse 17. O oh, our God, Hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve your help, but because of your mercy. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen. Act. For your sake, do not delay, oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. So does Daniel's prayer matter? I mean, if God already promised that in 70 years the captivity would end, why is he even praying? Is, it, is there any purpose? Maybe the only reason God could prophesy that the 70 years would end was because he saw Daniel even before the earth was founded. He knew he had his guy. That's the thing. God always has a guy. God always has a girl. He always has someone. He'll always be able to find someone. The question is whether you and I are going to be that guy or girl. His will will be done. Somebody will pray for it. 
I want to be a part of that. See, we don't have to speculate whether or not Daniel had to pray or whether or not Daniel's prayer mattered because in verse 20, it explains it. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. If it's true that God doesn't change, God would never treat our prayers differently than he treats Daniel's. In fact, I believe the New Testament actually supports this idea that when God's people pray, heaven moves into action. It's true. Now I'm here to tell you what that command was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I've come to give you understanding. See, when we pray, we get understanding. We get what we need to live, to learn to pray more effectively. Heaven begins to respond when God's people pray. And the angel comes and he begins to tell Daniel that the what was done, the command that was given in heaven, wasn't just to the end of the captivity of the 70 years. In other words, Daniel, you know, you prayed for this, but not only did heaven start moving into action for that to take place, but even more. And he begins to reveal to him things that are going to be happening in the last days, the days that you and I live in. And New Testament writers later re- reference what Daniel said and what was revealed to Daniel, this guy in the, New Te- oh, in the Old Testament. Why, why, why did God so love him? Daniel, why are you so pleased? Why is God so pleased with you? Why are you so favored in heaven? Because you were sinless? Because you were blameless? No, Daniel just said it. I'm not blameless. I'm lumped in there with them. Because Daniel's heart was lifted up to God. Because Daniel was a man that when God said something, Daniel prayed. Because Daniel said, my only hope is in you it's in you the question is do our prayers matter absolutely absolutely the new testament teaches us that calling on the name of the lord is just as important for us as it was for daniel in daniel chapter 9 in john chapter 15 when jesus is teaching his disciples look what he says remain in me and i will remain in you For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. But, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. That wasn't something for us to put on a piece of art and put on our wall. Ask whatever you want in my name and it will be given to you. So if I just live however I want, do whatever I want, I'm gonna ask for whatever I want, tag Jesus' name on the end of it and we're good. No, 
In context, he says, you've got to remain in me. See, when you remain in me and my words remain in you, you know what to ask for. You know how to pray. You know what to call on me for. And I'm going to hear you, and I'm going to respond to you. And sometimes my response is going to help you learn to pray more effectively. And sometimes my response is going to give you the strength to walk through a difficulty that you're asking to get out of, but that's not what I have. I have you walking through that, and when you come through it, you're going to see that I'm using that to overflow your cup even more. Because God God is always working on our behalf. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. And his end result is to get our cup to overflow. And if getting our cup to overflow is getting us out of the problem, then he'll remove us from the problem. But if getting our cup to overflow is giving us grace to persevere through it, then we're gonna persevere through that thing. And our cup at the end is gonna overflow. But all the way through it, we keep crying out to him. In Revelation chapter five, we get a picture of the prayers of the saints. Remember, Daniel got a picture of end times and then John gets a picture of end times and he tells us about it in Revelation chapter five. Look at these. The angels in heaven held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. In heaven today, there are angels standing with gold bowls that are collecting every prayer that the saints of God pray on the earth. That's the truth. That's the word of God. When you pray, God not only hears it, he collects it. He's collecting it. I don't know what size. I hope it's a big bowl. I hope it's not just a little bowl. Let's make him get a bigger bowl. (laughs) Lord, you're going shopping today (laughs) because your people are going to start crying out to you. He says it in Revelation chapter eight. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. It's almost as if God's waiting for the bowl to get filled so he can throw it to the earth. In other words, every prayer is like ammunition, if you will, so that he can hurl that baby down here. He's asking us to cry out against injustice on the earth. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prays another prayer. And in response to that prayer, an angel comes to him and says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray, there it is again. From the first day you began to pray, for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven and I have come in answer to your prayer but for 21 days. The spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to me and I left him to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia and now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Again, we see when Daniel prays, heaven moves. Now we get a picture that there's something that causes a delay in heaven's response to us. 
Now, I'm not here to tell you there's a demon under every rock, and every time that you pray that there's a a spirit that's holding back the prayers of God's people, but I'm here to tell you there's a whole lot more going on than you and I are aware of. And the reason we have the Holy Spirit and the reason we're told to pray in the Spirit so that our spirit man gets built up, so that we are more aware of spiritual things, is so that we can recognize stuff like this and we can learn to pray and not give up. Our prayers are weapons. Psalm 149 tells us this. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nation and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. It's the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. He's not talking about literal kingdoms. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, the praises of God in our mouth, praying, declaring God's will to be done because Jesus disarmed every principality, every power at the cross and it's up to his faithful ones to carry out the sentence written against them with his praise and his word. The prayers of God's people do this. Do you believe me yet? Okay, I'm good. Ephesians chapter six. In case you don't, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on his armor so you're able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Pray in the spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You know, we, we have that phrase that we used to wear on a bracelet, pray until something happens, and then we got tired of wearing those, so we stopped. That's kind of what we've done with prayer. We pray for a little while, and then we say, oh, it must not have been the Lord's will. Here's the interesting thing about praying, if it be the Lord's will. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. I'm sorry, I find it one place. We often pray, Lord, if it be your will, let this happen. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and when Jesus prayed most of the time, he knew what the Father's will was, and he prayed for it to be done. That's what he did. That's how he taught his disciples to pray. When he said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he didn't say, pray, if this be, he said, but there was a time Jesus prayed it. Do you remember it? In the garden? He said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But here's the thing, Jesus knew it wasn't his will. Jesus knew it, but we see his weakness. So you know what that does? That encourages me, because sometimes my humanness gets the best of me, and when I pray, I'm like, Lord, I don't know if it's your will. And then something within us rises up, the spirit, and says, yes, it is your will. Nevertheless, not what I will, what your will be done. Lord, I know this is your will. I know maybe this is not what I would rather have, but here's your will. Here's what you've purposed. Here's what's happened. And I'm just gonna be persistent to ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Let me go back to Luke chapter 18 and explain it this way. We're almost done. Don't, don't panic. Luke chapter 18. This is the story that Jesus taught his disciples. We looked at it last week where he said, I'm telling you this story so that you pray and don't give up. And he tells them a story about a widow and the widow kept going to a judge and this is all she said. Get justice for me from my adversary. That was her prayer. I feel like we would be better served to just start praying that. Give me justice for my adversary. Who's our adversary? The enemy. He he, he 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to, to devour. What's justice? Well, the justice is what was done at the cross. Sickness is an injustice. Death is an injustice. Disease is an injustice. Broken relationships, injustice. Addiction, injustice. They're all injustices. All of them. Now, some of you are saying, but Pastor Tom, I prayed for someone and they died. Absolutely. Sometimes I've prayed for dead people to be resurrected and they never got resurrected. And so was that prayer wasted? No. Because that prayer has gone up to heaven because you had faith to ask for someone who was dead to be raised back to life because God said, that's who I am and that's what I do. And you put confidence in that. And so just because you didn't see that dead person raised to life, be sure there's a bowl somewhere in heaven that says death across it and there's an injustice. And one day God's people are gonna pray to the point that God is gonna hurl that thing to earth and somebody else is gonna get that justice. We can't be short-sighted and say, well, if I didn't get it, well, then it must not be God's will. No, it is God's will. I don't know why it didn't come. I'm not going to say I didn't have enough faith. I'm not going to go there. Why God didn't do something in response to my prayer is far above my pay grade. All I'm asked to do is believe him and trust him and keep filling up bowls. And one day, he's going to deal with injustice forever. And you know what? I'm okay with the fact that the people I prayed for didn't get healed or I didn't see that miracle here or I didn't get that answer here. If, if, if injustice someday gets dealt with, I don't care. I don't care. It's just to the point where I'm so sick of injustice that I just want someone to get it. And so we keep crying out, will God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find that faith on the earth? Or will he find his church saying, well, Lord, if you can do this, if it's your will, if. Remember the only time Jesus was confronted with that statement, he said, if anything is possible for him who believes, And the man says, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, help us overcome our unbelief. We believe you can. So stop saying, God, if it's your will. Just say, God, give us justice from our adversary. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Give us justice. Give them justice. Give them justice. And you cry out day and night. And day and night. And day and night. And if he bears long with you, you do this because Jesus taught us to do this and not give up. The question is, do we believe prayer holds the key to everything we need? Do we believe prayer holds the key to everything we need? If we knew beyond all doubt the money we need, the restoration we need, the healing we need, what we needed was going to come in response to prayer. How would we pray? If we knew it, like if an angel came to you at night and said, if you just ask for this and never stop asking, eventually it's gonna come. How would we pray? We should pray no differently. We should pray no differently. And here's the thing. I don't know that eventually it's going to come. I don't know. I don't know. But what I know is it's an injustice. And Jesus died to deal with it. And he's asked me 
to take that and to apply it to every injustice that I see through prayer and to do it until he comes back and not give up and not allow disappointment to create a theology or doctrine based on what I've experienced instead of what he said. Because what he said trumps what I've experienced. And it's hard to do. Will we cry out to him day and night, saying, God, you're our only hope. You're our only hope. We need workers. You're our only hope. We need money. You're our only hope. Oh, but there's that bank. There's that credit card. There's that loan. You're my only hope. Healing, doctors, drugs, you're my only hope. Salvation, lot of track under their stuff, under their nightstand. You're my only hope. Give me justice. Give me justice. I hope you get so sick of injustice that it just drives you to pray like crazy. See, here's the thing. The one thing Jesus got ticked about more than anything else is that his house became something other than a house of prayer. Jesus didn't say my house will be a house of worship. My house will be a house of music. My house will be a house of preaching. My house will be a house of Bible study. I mean, and all those things are good. In fact, all of those things we can point to in the word and he tells us to do them. But the one thing he says, my house will be a house of prayer. 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 How important is prayer? How important is you and I coming together to call on God. And here's the thing. Individually, we talked about that last week. We need to do that. But corporately, you and I have got to come together and cry out to God together. Yesterday, people from all over the country flew to Los Angeles and they flew to Washington, D.C. because they felt like God put something in them that said, you know, you got to be there and you got to pray. You got to seek me together. And here's the thing, you know, you could have watched it on the internet, some of you did. There's nothing about Los Angeles and there's nothing about Washington, D.C. that's special. It's just the fact that now, you know, we understand this. We got to call on God to pray. The same God that showed up at the Coliseum yesterday and showed up at the Lincoln Memorial is here with us on Tuesday night. He's here with us on Sunday morning. He's here with us on, on Wednesday night. He's with you everywhere you go. And so wherever you go, when you ladies meet together for Thursday night cooking class, I didn't read enough of it to know, but he's there. And you together can call on him. It's not about time and location. It's not about, oh, pastor's trying to make us feel guilty, so we come to Tuesday night prayer. No, eventually, I think we're going to catch it enough where we're going we're gonna to be here. We need to come together to pray. For, for months, months, the people asking me that come on Tuesday night regularly said, Pastor, we need to do this every week. And for months, I told them, no, we can't do it every week. That's, the cost was too great. You're with me? Because see, you guys, and even them, the cost isn't as high as it is for, for me and for Pastor John, because you can say, well, I had to work late, so I'm not there. We're here Tuesday night. So the cost was way too high, but Pastor John, I love him. He's got such faith 
And uh, he loves to jump first sometimes and look second. So he's like, Pastor John, we can do this. We can do this. Every week he was telling me, we can do this. We can do this every week. And I'm like, no. And so months went by. And finally, I just said, you know what? It's going to cost. Well, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's do it every Tuesday night. And so for the last six to eight weeks, here we are every Tuesday night. And man, some Tuesday nights, it's like the heavens open and Gabriel comes down. Last Tuesday night was pretty good. Men's prayer, uh, ladies. <laughs> no, that was just kidding. But it was good. But some weeks, man, you just leave here and you're like, did we really accomplish anything? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there wasn't a, a great worship team and, you know, we didn't sing songs and there was no emotion. But those prayers are in a bowl just like the prayers where there's emotion. It's not about the emotion, and it's not about the location, and it's not about the time, but here's what's got to get in our hearts. You and I have got to say, we got to pray together. We got to pray together. Whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's in this service, whether it's in, in Wednesday night Bible study, whether it's in Tuesday night prayer, whether it's any time we gather together, we got to pray. We got to call on God because that's what makes the difference. And so I hope that that's what gets in our heart today that we cry out to God for justice from our adversary. I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to close in prayer. And this is all we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God. We're going to ask him to give us justice from our adversary. And I want to ask for volunteers that would lead in prayer. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I would like some others to lead in prayer. <clears throat> we're just going to pray. We're just going to take God at his word. He said, ask, I'm going to hear, and I'm going to answer. So we're going to ask. <clears throat> so if you would lead us, if you'd be willing to lead us, I want to invite you to come and meet me here in the front. Father, we hear you. <clears throat> We've heard your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for waking us up as a nation. God, we see it, we hear it all around us. You're stirring our hearts. And God, we know this is just the beginning. Do it more. Do it today in us. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our hearts now. That your house would once again be called a house of prayer. We are your house. Make us people of prayer who trust you, who cry out to you day and night. Give us justice. Father, we are hungry. Your church is hungry this morning. Father, we are coming desiring to sit at your feet, to hear your voice, to no longer live lives that are complacent and apathetic. We are not content to live the way we have lived. We are not content and satisfied. 
to see our families still wallow in sin and not come to know you. We are not content to live with pain in our bodies. We are not content to come into this place Sunday after Sunday and week after week and I have an intimate encounter with you. Your body of believers in Huron, your bride, your church is not content to read your word, to pray half-hearted prayers any longer. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would forgive us, your church, your people, each one of us, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for an apathetic spirit. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for being complacent, for being satisfied, for feeding ourselves with the things of this world, for filling that hunger with sin. Forgive your church. Lord, I ask for justice. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in this body of believers. Father, I ask for justice for those that are striving and desiring and healing in their body. Lord, I ask for justice that your will would be done, that it would come to pass. There is healing in your name. Father, I ask for salvation this morning. Father, that those in this room that have husbands and wives and children and brothers and sisters that they have prayed for for years that it would come to pass those that have been faithful your word says maintain justice they have maintained justice and we come before your throne again today and we ask for your mercy we ask for their salvation right now in Jesus name Lord I ask for that seed that's been planted even in my heart Father, in the hearts of people in Los Angeles and in Washington, D.C., Father, you told your leaders and your church to meet, to gather my people because we need to pray for our country. And they were obedient and they did. And all across this country, people had the opportunity to watch this, to be a part of your, your encounter. Father, we didn't have to go there. We didn't even have to turn on the internet. We just needed to get before your throne, to bow before you, to call out the name of Jesus. And so Father, we're doing that right now. Father, we are calling out to you for mercy. We are calling out to you, Father, for mercy, for your bride, forgive us. Forgive us for sitting. Forgive us for not moving. Forgive us, forgive us for not doing, Jesus. <laughs> for not being who you've called us to be. For not believing who we are. For believing the lies of the enemy. For walking in defeat, in depression, in anxiety. For allowing the hurts of the past to overwhelm us to the point of numbness. Father, we don't want that anymore. And as a body today, we say we are finished with lifestyles in this way, with a lifestyle of, of apathy and complacency. Lord, I ask right now that you'd begin to place a hunger within this body, 
a hunger for your word, a hunger for prayer, a hunger for submission to you, a hunger to be the man and the woman that you've called them to be, to serve in the places that you've called them to serve. Lord, I ask that you would place a hunger within them that can only be satisfied with you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us then to choose to eat from your table. Father, when we have this, this appetite that begins to come, Lord, I pray that we would be wise enough to know that it's an appetite for you and that we need to come before your throne and we need to come to your table and eat. Come before your banqueting table and be fed. That that oil would saturate us and that it would overflow unto those around us, to our children, to our spouses, to our family, to this body of believers, to this city and to the lost. Father, that is my prayer. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God. You are worthy. We're glad that you're a good God. You are worthy, Lord God. You are not worthy because you've been so good to us, Lord. You're worthy because you're worthy. You're worthy, Father God, and we're glad. Even if you were evil, you would have been worthy because you are. But Father God, you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and you have proven yourself to not only be worthy, but to be good. You are good, Lord God. I am so glad, Father God, that we are commanded to give glory to a worthy God who is good, not just some God that is a dictator. Thank you, Father, for being a good God and going way beyond good, Lord God, and coming down, Lord God, and being destroyed in order to save us who have destroyed ourselves. Father, thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a worthy God. Thank you for being an all-knowing God, an omniscient God. Thank you, Father God, for being an ever-present God. Thank you, Lord God, for just being so close that only the mention of your name, Lord God, and we can be saved, Father God. Thank you that only the mention, all we got to do is cry out to you, and you'll save us from our disaster. You'll save us from our problem. You'll save us from our situation of fear that comes upon us. Lord, you save us. You're as close as the mention of your name. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you put a spirit in us. A spirit, Lord God, that we have tried to keep down. A spirit, Lord God, you've caused. The Bible says, Lord, that you put a spirit in us. And Lord, we found it to be true. You put a spirit in us that causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. We cry out to you today, Lord God. You put a spirit in us, oh God. A spirit that cries, Abba, Father. A spirit that wants to make the house which we are into a house of prayer. Father God, we repent. I repent. I turn from my wicked ways. Father God, with all adamacy, we say no more. No more stealing from God. For we have made your house a den of thieves by not coming to your house. We've made your house a den of thieves by not making it a house of prayer. We've made it a den of thieves because instead of putting in prayer, Lord God, we put in entertainment at the end of the day. Instead of putting in prayer, Father God, we put in relaxation, Lord God. When, Lord God, with so many times we put in all kinds of physical entertainment and, and fun. And, and, Father God, even sin, Lord God, to satisfy us. And, Father, we repent from stealing from your house. Father God, we determine in our hearts to make your house a house of prayer. And I know, Lord God, as we make your house a house of prayer, 
And we're all built into that same house. And not only that, but you said if we would endure and persevere to the end, we are that house. Obviously, we're not your house, Lord, if we don't persevere to the end. But Lord, if we persevere to the end, your word says we are that house. And Father God, we open up our house to you today so that you can pray in us and through us because you put a spirit in that just loves to pray. Father God, help us, Lord God, not to listen to the lies of the devil anymore. They keep telling us we need more sleep. We need more entertainment. We need a little bit, we just crave a little bit more relaxation. Father God, I've never had better relaxation than after I've exhausted myself in prayer. Help me, Father, get back on track. Help us to get back on track so we can find true rest. In Jesus' name we pray, Father God. Father God, about justice. Your word says, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. What a shame that we walk around constantly crying out sick and leaning on things and drugs and other things to, to, uh, to satisfy us, Lord God, when you said you're the healer. And Father, we're tired of you not being glorified. And Father, we started this prayer with you're, you're worthy to get glory. You are worthy to get glory. And Father God, if I don't want healing for myself, I want it more so that you'll get some glory. It's time that the devil quit telling people and people quit, keep believing that it's okay to just keep being sick. Father God, in World War II, many people died so a whole bunch of people could be free. And if I die believing, Father God, at least somebody, like Pastor just said, somebody else in the future is going to be free. But I know you're true and I know you're the healer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know that no weapon formed against me shall prevail, and if I die, yet shall I live. Father God, help us to get back to prayer. Hallelujah. Strengthen us to be obedient, Father. Father God, you said, if you have my commandments and you keep them, he that hath my commandments and keep them, he's the one that loves me. And I will love him and I will show myself to him. Father, help us to keep your commandments. Help us to be obedient. Father, we can't be obedient, but with your help, we can. Help us to be bold, Father God. You told us to go witness. Help us to go witness. Father God, we ask you in Jesus' name to help us. Help us, Father God. Father God, the, the disciples, when they first started the church, they said, give us boldness. Stretch out your hand. Do signs and wonders. Do miracles. Help the people believe. And Father God, we're no different. We can't even obey without your help. Help us to be obedient to be your house of prayer. Help us, Lord, to be determined to be your house of prayer. Help us start looking at the goal rather than at the problem of the, of the moment that tries to stop us from praying. You deserve the glory, Father God. If it kills me, you deserve the glory. If I got to go through 60 years of hell, you deserve the glory. Hallelujah, you're worth it, Lord God. You're well worth more for these light and momentary troubles that I'm going through. Far, your glory far outweighs them all. Hallelujah. Be glorified, Father God. Draw us in. Lord, we're asking you to help us to obey. Help us to be a house of prayer. Help us to be what you said would thrive. In Jesus' name, help us to thrive. Help us not to be stupid any longer, Father God. Help us to realize when we get up without prayer and we go out into that day, we're going out into the midst of spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Father God, it's not a physical thing, Lord God, but we keep walking around like it is. Help us, Father God. God, all we can do is keep crying out to you day and night, and every time you always come through, and you always come quickly if we just consistent, Lord God. Father, I can't help but do it, Lord, because you put a spirit in me that cries out, Abba, Father, constantly. Hallelujah! i got to have you, Jesus! Hallelujah! i got to have you more! 
I gotta have you, Jesus. Hallelujah, gotta have you, Father. Hallelujah, gotta have you, Father. Your spirit is crying that right now, folks. We're crying, God, God, God. We're tired of the, the plastic stuff. We're tired of the unreal stuff. We're tired of the fake. We need the real thing. We need Abba Father again. Hallelujah. Give me Father. Give me Father. Just give me Father. Hallelujah. Ain't no devil going to hold this body down, folks, if you'll... I don't know if I'm praying or preaching. Just get a hold of Jesus. Just decide to hang on to Him. If you die, that's okay. You'll be aliver than you've ever been. Hallelujah. But it ain't worth living like this. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for this time together. Father, we, we all claim to be Christians here today. And Christianity is relationship. And it, to build a relationship, you got to talk to each other. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer is about talking to you. Prayer is about listening to your voice. Heavenly Father, teach us. Teach us to pray. Teach us to get the prayer list. Teach us to lift every need to you. Teach us to listen to your voice. Teach us to receive the healing that was done with your stripes. It's already done. All we have to do is receive it. Help us to receive the provision that you provided 2,000 years ago. Help us to receive from you, Heavenly Father. Glory to your matchless name. Lord, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not be afraid because you are with us. And your rod and your staff, they protect us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And your goodness and your love are going to follow us all the days of our life. So, oh Lord, hear our prayer. Oh Lord, forgive our sins. Oh, Lord, act on our behalf today for your justice to be done on the earth, we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you for being patient. Jason, if you just want to leave this music play, we're going to let this be a place of prayer. If you want to spend some time in prayer, if you're not ready to be dismissed, um, we'll let this the atmosphere remain so that you can pray. If you need to be dismissed, thank you for thank you for enduring. Thank you for seeing it through with us, for calling on the Lord together with us. God bless you as you go.